Today's episode is sponsored by Koji, the best link and bio tool for the musicians and creators out there. With Koji, you'll have access to hundreds of powerful mini apps to take your link and bio to the main stage. No coding, no websites. You have all your links in one place and can start promoting your work in minutes. You'll join over 185,000 creators who use Koji to scale their music brand. And best of all, Koji's free to use. Try it out for yourself. Go to koji.to slash podcast. That's K-O-J-I dot T-O slash podcast. When you put diverse people at the head of the company and you allow that person to make cultural decisions and not financial decisions on something that they don't know. So you got people running companies, they don't know. They might go to a concert, but they don't know when a kid could come in. Like I came in and I saw Russell. I said, oh, he the boss? So you mean if you're the boss, you can move stuff that you want. So people not only want to be an employee or work in music. No, they want to run companies. And until we, as an industry, and really, this is not just about the music industry, this is about the world. Until a CEO that looks like them, acts like them, talk like them, you know, that's when you unleash the true power of where we are in our culture. Hey, welcome to the Trapital Podcast. I'm your host and the founder of Trapital, Dan Runcie. This podcast is your place to gain insights from the executives in music, media, entertainment, and more who are taking hip hop culture to the next level. Today's episode is with Kevin Lyles, the chairman and CEO of 300 Entertainment and of Electro Music Group. Kevin's been one of the most influential record label executives for the past few decades. He ran Def Jam for seven years in the late 90s, early 2000s, and almost 10 years ago, he started 300 Entertainment, which he just sold to Warner for a $400 million deal. So we talked about everything that went into that decision, what it was like to sell the record label, what a partnership with Warner looks like, and how the record label can maintain its independent spirit under the umbrella of a major record label. We also talked about Gunna and how he's having one of the biggest years in hip hop right now and pushing P and everything with that. We talked about Meg Thee Stallion. We talked about Thug. Did you know that Thug is chief innovation officer at 300? Well, we talked all about that and what that means and a whole lot more. He also gave us the latest update on Def Jam Vendetta. You know, the people have been asking for Def Jam Vendetta. They want to see the video game come back through. So we talked about that. We also talked broader about IP. If you follow me on social media, you know that I want to see the storied hip hop record labels get the same type of TV anthology breakdowns that we're seeing now about Theranos and WeWork and Uber. I want to see the same about Def Jam and Bad Boy and Rockefeller. And we talked a little bit about that too. It was a great conversation. I think it's always inspiring to talk to one of the most influential execs in hip-hop that I believe really helped make this culture what it is. Here's my chat with Kevin Lyles. All right, today we got co-founder and CEO of 300 Entertainment, Kevin Lyles with us today. And Kevin, I got to give you a shout out, man. I feel like you've had one of the strongest starts to this year, sold the record label, Gunna's hit starting the year off strong. How does it feel? Uh, it feels like uh, another day at the office. People ask me all the time, Kevin, what's new? Uh, every day is new. Every day is a new opportunity. Uh, God woke me up and I feel there's a bigger purpose. And I feel the steps that we take, I don't look for number one albums. I don't look for to be accolades or to be the bestest or anything. I really just strive on doing his work that day. And you know, I, I joked with somebody and said, you know, you with me, 
I'm never going to be up too upset and I'm never going to be too sad. I'm going to flow like water. And water is a very powerful thing because it helps growth. It changes direction. It moves people around the world. So I flow like water. So I feel, feel great about everything. I hear that. So talk to me a bit about the sale because that made big news. There was rumors about it happening towards the end of 2021. But walk me through that process. When did you first think about <laughs> selling 300 and what went into the decision for you? I never thought about selling 300. I don't build things to sell. Uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur, but I build things to change the world. I find a, a void and the void was in the creation of 300 of my co-founders. The void was there was no true artist development. And when we talk about artist development, I'm not just talking about developing of the sound or developing of, of a person. I'm saying we're raising young kids, young men and women into the world. And so they need to have some of them have dads, some of them have moms, some of them have mom and dad, but some have nothing, you know, around them. So we need to be of service to their growth. So when people say, when you're thinking about selling, I always was thinking about who is my best partner that I could have the independent of a mind, mindset of an independent, but the muscle of a major. Who's the best partner that independence would be in their DNA? Who's the best partner that I could actually uh, uh, minister around the world, the good, the bad, the, the right, the wrong, and treat people how you want to be treated? And so I'm not for sale. 300 as an entity, I sold because I wanted my entrepreneurs to learn what entrepreneurship was, to add more tools to their toolboxes around the world. But, you know, people say, okay, well, you, you sold a company. What I did was sold an asset that I felt could be a bigger asset to the world. I said, do you think Steve, his name, Jeff Bezos is still sitting in his garage? You know, do you think that the guys are still in their dorm room? You know what I mean? Uh, Zuckerberg and them in their dorm room? No, you know, we actually have a great idea, a great business. We're acquiring things, starting different things. So I believe the, the sale is something that people put too much emphasis on. Now, with that being said, I wanted also to create history. So if you think about Motown selling for 61 million, if you think about Def Jam selling for 140 million, or The Face selling for 125 million, or Geffen selling for 325 million, or even AM selling for 500 million in 27 years. In eight years, we sold a company for $400 million. And so to me, I also think about legacy and history and what, what, what that means. So if people want to talk about the sale, talk about it in a, in a way that is historic for an African-American, it's historic for a company, but it's also profitable for our shareholders. And uh, as a CEO, you know, we got to make sure the shareholders and the board are great. But I think the culture needed to see that it is a possibility to build something, sell something, become a bigger brand by doing it, but never lose the mindset of an independent. I think that's a interesting and good point because so many of the big, whether it's the catalog sales or the record label sales that we've seen over the past two years that we've seen this run happen, a lot of them haven't been with executives that are black or executives that you know are just non-white men in general. So I think that the fact that you were able to do that shows and signals not just what you're capable of, but also what your artists are capable of too. And I think as well on the partnership side, it's interesting because I think that 300 may be, you know, relative to a lot of the other labels that were independent before people may have thought that, oh, well, 300 is just as powerful as some of the majors or, you know, definitely has the same firepower behind it. But it sounds like what you're saying is that, yeah, even with all that we've accomplished, there's still more that we can have, you know, with the backing and with the further partnership of a company like a Warner. 
you know, we shocked the world when we had more Grammys than the majors with Megan winning three Grammys. You know, we, we shocked the, the world when we put out and went up against a major and had the number one album the first week out as this little independent thing. And you got to realize all the stuff that's happening now is still stuff we set up last year. And so as we go into this year, just look for us to be doing hashtag bigger family business, not just family business, but bigger family business. Yeah, I hear that. And I think, too, talking about the artists that were able to do things, I mean, Gunna has been the poster child so far this year, at least when it comes to hip hop. I mean, not just him getting the number one single, but him being the weekend, but then having everything surrounding around pushing P and everything there. I mean, I assume that has to feel pretty good because I think it's so tough, especially in this era, to have superstars and people that are on the verge of superstar status to kind of grow and get there with so much noise and so much other artists that are coming through, whether it's independents or others. So the fact that he's able to, you know, not just show that he compete, but outsell other superstars, I think shows a lot of the, not just the potential, but also that this is still possible in this era. We can still have the biggest stars continue to reach further heights. Yeah, I think we'd want to talk about true artist development and from the dropping of Drip Season 1 and 2 and 3 and Wanna and all those things. You got to realize a young kid was just sitting by Thug in a studio learning and he never stopped learning and he never stopped evolving. And when he saw Thug perform with Camilla Cabela and open up the Grammys, you know, one year, these are all things that became attainable to him. And through uh, us, you know, the, the work that went into DS4, the thoughtfulness of how it starts, ebbing flows of it, of how many girl records should I have on it? What am I trying to say? I can't say I'm dripping and I'm not really drip. So I have to be at every fashion show or it just, you know, the thoughtfulness. We're not just putting out records. If you want to do that, that's not 300. 300 is thoughtful. 300 is taking the time to understand where an artist is in their career. Well, is it a mixtape time? Is it an album time? Is it a collab time? These are all things that because people don't have the relationships with the artists, then I at the artist's house or going on them with vacation, they can't really communicate. You know, I always say you can't hand me something without an owner's name. I have to know everything about it so I can assist. You know, Gunner is more than an artist to me. Again, he's a human being, but he's also a very good friend. You know, Ebony, his manager, is not just a, a, a manager. She's a, a, a sister to me, could be a daughter to me. And I have a responsibility to develop another young woman in our industry. So to me, whether we be pushing P or whether we uh, hot girl summer or whether we trap queen in it or, you know, what we got savage in it, whatever you want, whatever one you want to, or we bad and bougie in it, whatever one you want to pick up. We don't just, you know, have moments. We make movements. I like that you mentioned that because you have had so many. I feel like every year or every other year, there's some moment that 300 is able to capture or some term that they're able to introduce. Something in the water. Like, how are y'all always the ones that have the terms unlocked? You know, I think it's a great commentary to the great artists and the great creators and the great executives that we have around it. We don't make this shit up. We didn't go to Fetty Wap and say, yo, do Trap Queen. <laughs> we didn't go to Meg and say, have a hot girl summer. <laughs> you know, we don't go to... Yo, guess what, Gunner? We're going to push P. That's not how it happens. It happens because we provide a safe place for ideation, creativity, and opportunities for people to fail. But failure is a learning 
experience. You know, when Marvin Gaye wanted to do What's Going On and, and it was at a point in his album, it wasn't his biggest selling album. It was just where he was in life. DS4 is where Gunna is in life. Punk was where Thug was in life. You can't go through manufacturing the shit. Then it's not cultural. And if it's not cultural, then it really can't be 300 to me. You know what I mean? And that's really the message. And one of the great things about being able to take over the Electra um, Entertainment Group also, it's in their ethos. You have great labels like FBR, Roadrunner, iconic labels that started with founders that had a point of view. And so to me, as long as I have a point of view, as long as it be cultural, as long as I have an independent mindset, I'm good. And I'm doing it all, again, to raise great young men and women, whether executives or artists. But I really believe God wakes me up to change the world. I really believe it. It's not even a question in my mind. And so I want to get better. I want to be a better father, a a better operator, a, a better friend. And if you always challenge yourself that there is more that there is more to do. If you reimagine and rethinking things, you will see God will answer you in so many great ways. Do you think that the year I sold a company eight months ago, nine months ago, when Mary J and I reconnected, did you think she was performing at the Super Bowl? Do you think that that the, the Super Bowl would be entertainment be, be run by Jay-Z? Do you think that, like, we don't make this up. This is like, I can't tell you. I can just thank God and thank the people around me for believing that they do have a bigger mission. And I think with this too, you built something so special. You talked a lot about that independent spirit that I think carried through with the artist development, with how your artists became the culture makers that they are. And I got to wonder though, with the partnership with Warner now, of course, you're giving up a little bit of control in exchange for the power it helps you put behind the artist. But is there any concern or any thought about, okay, what will that look like or how may that potentially shift if we're ceding some of that control or some of that power? Dan, you see, I'm the wrong guy to ask that because I never felt like I worked for anybody. <laughs> I always feel like, give me the mission, give me the assignment and let me do. But again, the great thing about this opportunity, Julie Greenwall and I, ran Def Jam together along with Leo. Julie was an assistant. I was started as an intern. So she knows everything about me. She knows where the body's buried. She knows the good, the bad, the ugly. Max Lusada, I worked with as a colleague for nine, 10 years. You know, he knows the good, the bad. And so I'm a position player. So if I need to be the coach, the quarterback, the running back, that I have enough tools in my toolbox to play whatever position. And so I never give up control because nobody does what I do. Can't, can't that. And so I never look at it, well, well, Kevin, you know, you have a boss now. Okay, what does that mean? They have a great employee. (laughs) Well, Kevin, Kevin, well, your artists, they can't, no, we do what we do, but now we do it in, in, it's hashtag bigger family business. That it's just, again, I'm not the guy that when you take on additional investment that you change. I believe the thing about 300, thing about Def Jam, these were things that were built out of necessity, and we curated them in a cultural way, not in a financial way. Now, we saw a need to do Deaf Comedy Jam. We saw a need to have Fat Farm and Baby Fat. We saw a need to make uh, Deaf Jam Vendetta and Fight for New York. And uh, we, we saw a need to be heavily involved in political races in important countries. We saw the need that the state's attorneys in every city can help us change the narrative around who's going, why going, and why they're in jail, and they should be out of jail. We just saw see things because we're out in these streets. We're out in it every single day. That doesn't mean everybody has to be on the corner, 
What it means is you have to be in touch with who you are, why you are, and what your purpose is. And that is what I challenge. But listen, I don't deal with Coke cans and cigars. Why shit talk back to me? These are real people. And my, my people know they have the freedom, the freedom to disagree, the freedom to try. And when you have a bunch of risk takers, like we have in Max, and we have in Julie, and we have in the rest of the team, and I have two great kids in Raina and Celine that most people wouldn't give them the power that I've given them. But remember, they made me president and CEO of Def Jam at age 30. <laughs> so to me, this is just a great opportunity for us to, to do what we do, never changing who we are. I hear that. And you mentioned Def Jam Vendetta. And so we got to talk about that because I think it was last year, you put out a little teaser. You said, hey, do you all want another sequel? You want another one? So where's that at? What are you thinking about for the future of the Def Jam video game? I don't know if you saw the tweet by Ice-T yesterday, but he said, man, we need another one of these to come back. And Snoop and all my guys, it's timing for me. It's working with the right partner. At that time, Electronic Arts was the right partner. They allowed me to curate it without the limitations of, oh, but we're Electronic Arts. Oh, you know, so when I find the right gaming partner, and if you're out there, let me know. When I find the right gaming partner that wants to experience gaming in a way that I see it culturally, it'll come back out. But until then, I'll keep having the conversations until I find the right one. That makes sense. Because I think what we're talking about at the end of the day is just how valuable the IP and the brand is and everything that you all had created, whether it's what you had done at Dev Jam or what you've now done this past decade with 300. And one of the things I've started to take notice to now is we're in this wave right now with media and TV where we're seeing all of these TV anthology series about the rise and fall of these tech companies, right? We got the Theranos one, we got the WeWork one, we got the Uber one. And I want to see the same for the Def Jams and the Bad Boys. And I want to see all of that. And I feel like if we're having the conversations about the video games, it's only going to be a matter of time before we're going to see those as well. We want to get back to the early 2000s Def Jam or the Rockefeller run and see who would all play you all. I feel like that's it has to be happening in at least a couple of years. So one of the reasons why I created 300 Studios is because I haven't uh, told full stories in a, in a long time. And so you can check the credits for whether it was How High, the show, any of the things that we did back in the day, Rush Hour, any of those things that we've been able to be a part of. Why did I get married? The Tyler Perry, you know, with Daddy's Little Girl. You go down a list of things that we've been able to help curate. It was a reason why I wanted 300 Studios to not only tell the audio stories around 300, but I want to tell visual stories. And I had the great pleasure of finding Kelly and Nolan, and they believed in the vision. And, you know, within two years, we had our first doc air February 26th called Race, Bubba Wallace. And it was the only African-American Cup Series driver and his trials and tribulations of not having any sponsorship to now winning races and changing the Confederate flag and NASCAR. I didn't say, hey, here's the script, Bubba. Here's what's going to happen, NASCAR. Here's what you're going to have a guy come in and actually curate and trust in the brands of 2311 Racing, you know, with Jordan and Denny, Toyota, McDonald's, DoorDash, all these things with the background of raising a young kid in a sport that you can't even afford to be in. You know what I mean? It's $20, $30 million you have to have. Cars get crashed. I know that. So again, I wanted to educate people on the sport, 
but I also wanted to take them on a journey that a lot of people have never taken with NASCAR. So I appreciate everything. And yes, there will be a story. There will be more, more docs. And I do plan because I'm going on four decades in, in the business now telling the true stories of all of these iconic brands and iconic people and, and friends and people who shape the world in conversation. I do plan on telling that story. Yeah, I think people would love to hear that. I, I feel like that is where things are obviously heading with all of the IP that's being created. And I feel like, especially for you all, I mean, it's interesting now because we just see the nostalgia of how everything is, you know, we're looking back and people are talking fondly about that late nineties, early two thousands run. And it's only going to be a matter of time before people look back at this particular era, not even just with hip hop, but music more broadly and just seeing how many shifts this music industry has had. And I feel like the past few years were on the verge of another one as well. The revenue has been, you know, the highest that it's been at least since the CD era. And that I think has influenced a lot of these deals that we've seen. And we're now seeing all this activity with Web3, NFTs and everything else. I mean, as someone that's seen, you know, the highs and the lows of it, as you said, you know, you're definitely have the, you know, be like water mentality. But that said, it must be really exciting to also see all the possibilities of where you could tap into. Listen, all I can tell you, I was at the Super Bowl, the biggest stage in the world, with Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, 50 Cent, Murray J. Blige, at the Super Bowl. So if you don't know the possibilities, we have the number one music in the world. When they used to tell us, you'll be a fad. They used to say, oh, we play more music and less rap. Now everybody's saying we're the station of hip hop and blah, 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 this and blah, blah, blah. And everybody, what people didn't realize, and, and I'm sure they're not I'm sure how old you are, but when I was in the car growing up, I was listening to you know, The Temptations and Diana Ross and Aretha Franklin, and because that's what my mom and I listen to. But now, as adults, what we listen to, our kids are listening to hip hop. And so that, that's been for the last 30 years. So now you have hip hop parents. You have a, a, a president of the United States and Barack who knows hip hop. You have mayors and governors and lordships and kings and great that grew up on hip hop. So you have not seen the greatness of our culture yet. You're starting to see the seeds being planted. I truly believe that with the continent coming into play, with India coming into play, these underdeveloped nations, oh man, there's gonna be so many stories to be told in, in a way through a hip hop lens. So I, I'm just excited, more excited. I just hope y'all still let me be around, man. You know what I mean? So as long as God keeps giving these gifts, I'll stay with the rope. I hear that. And I think the international expansion has just been so key too. So many record labels moving, making moves, whether it's in <laughs> India, in East Asia, in Africa as well. And I know that you all have you know, made moves in that perspective as well. What do you see as that opportunity, especially in the next few years? I mean, I know that having Warner behind can definitely help from an international push from that perspective. But what do you see as that opportunity? Let's take a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsor. Let's talk more about today's sponsor, Koji. If you're still using a Linktree link in your bio from a few years ago, it's time to level up. Most of those links take your followers outside of the app that they were in, and the experience is clunky. It makes them less likely to see your amazing work and engage with it. That's why Koji built the next generation LinkedIn bio platform and app store. With hundreds of built-in mini apps, your audience never has to leave the social media platform they were browsing or download a new app. 
Koji was designed specifically for the artists, producers, podcasters, and creators out there. It's home to many chart-topping artists, Grammy winners, and more that use the platform to share their latest releases and highlight the artists on their roster. I met the founders, Dimitri and Sean, at an event in San Francisco here a couple months back. I was impressed by the product, and I'm excited to see what they do with their new $20 million funding round. Go check out Koji for yourself. That's koji.to slash podcast. That's K-O-J-I dot T-O slash podcast. One of the biggest issues that I was having is I didn't have, my Rolodex is 40,000 people, but I only had 75 people working for me. <laughs> you know, I couldn't reach, there's, I got the calls from the biggest artists in France and the biggest artists in Germany and the biggest artists in London, and I couldn't serve them in a way that they needed to be served. And remember, early on, I knew where hip hop was going and, and Lear and Russell and I, we thought about, you know, Def Jam UK, Def Jam Germany, Def Jam France, Def Jam Japan. We were just too early. And those countries did not have the voice. They didn't have their own voice. They were emulating what we were doing because we were starting the creation of it. But now you go to any of those major territories, they have their own voice. The biggest artist in that territory is from that territory. It's not us coming there. And so as a proud steward of our culture, I think the opportunity is on steroids right now because I'm going to be able to not only help the artists, but also help creators and executives realize and set up their own fiefdoms in their own territories. Because they're going to say, shit, if 300 could do that, <laughs> shit, that's the guy was, this is his third time? Oh, if he, they could do that, look what we could do. And so we're starting that also. So I, I can only thank, again, you know, Max and Julie for believing in, in what we're creating, loving, independent spirit, but also remembering that do-it-yourself, the DIY thing, nobody does it themselves, yo. That's like saying you're going to have a baby by yourself. No, you're going to get married by yourself. No, you don't, do, you don't do anything by yourself. And there's not one global artist around the world that did it by himself. So I believe in collaboration. I believe in partnership. But again, the mindset has to be of an independent. I think the piece that you mentioned on the differences of when you were running Def Jam 20 years ago versus now, especially on the international front, is key. Because as you mentioned, a lot of those regions didn't have the developed music ecosystem that they do. So it was often bringing your artists there as opposed to now they have their own superstars. What are some of the other major differences that you've experienced from now being a major label executive in this decade as opposed to what it was like for you, Def Jam, 20 years ago? People didn't understand what the fuck I was talking about. They didn't understand the cultural thing. They understood the numbers, but they didn't understand what I was talking about, why I would say, no, I don't want to play Wimbledon. I want to go play a tape in London, the small club, <laughs> that I would do that 10 times before I do it. They didn't understand why. I mean, even inside the company, people said, well, we shouldn't take Trey songs to London because he doesn't have a big radio record there. And I'm like, but people stream there. People buy his music there. People... And I know when I go there and I'm doing 500, 1,000 to 2,000 to 5,000 people in shows, they just, it's just not developed enough to understand that shit moves without all the triggers sometimes. And so it was funny. <laughs> we went there and somebody said, well, Kev, you know, I know you want to play, you know, 5,000 seater, but we sold out two nights already. <laughs> So maybe we should you know, start playing arenas. And my answer was no, because we're not ready for that yet. Let me keep curating, keep going through the process and, and seeing. And I've seen bands 
that haven't had not one hit, but they can sell out an arena. You know, and that that to me, and I'm so excited. There's a young lady from the UK named Pink Pantress that I'm so excited about where she's going, her aesthetic, and who she because you can't put a label on it. Hey, there's no label you can put on. I'm, I'm, I'm excited that if you take a look at Meg the Stallion's schedule for the next year, she's playing every major festival around the world. So think about what that, what's that going to do for her involvement, allowing her to become a product of her experiences, not just her limited environment. Think about what she's going to write. <laughs> I remember a long time ago, Ludacris and I went to Africa. And then I hear in the song, the best women are for Africa. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. Remember when Jay-Z... And I took a first private plane. And then you start talking about the Clearport. You know what I mean? Our first trip to South of France. You know what I mean? These are the experiences that allow for great storytelling, that allow for evolution, um, not just of an artist, but also the narrative of the employees and executives that take those journeys with them. That makes me think, too, about Snoop and Pharrell, the the beautiful music video. And that spot, a landmark, you know? Like, people want to go there and take pictures and be like, no, I was here, too. Yes. It's powerful. It really is. I mean, for me, one of the other things I think about too, that's just changed so much from, you know, back when you're at Def Jam to now with 300 is because of streaming and the internet and so much, now people respect much more what you were trying to do then because they realize it. And I think obviously streaming helped level a lot of the playing field. So I think hip hop and R&B sold so many so much Black music was able to reach more of its true potential in terms of just how easily it could spread because there's less gatekeepers, right? And I think I'm interested to see, okay, how that continues to go and what are the things that may continue to have that, you know, whether it's boost further or have it reach even more of its potential. Because to your point, I agree with that we still haven't reached the maximum point or we still haven't, you know, really been able to have the whole world really tap into what's happening here. So I'm curious to, you know, as I'm thinking through what the next decade looks like, what are those things going to be the same way how, you know, streaming and social media help level the playing field for a lot of this genre music, like is whether it's, you know, Web3 or NFTs or the metaverse, is that going to be the next thing that'll help even more of the hip hop artists and R&B and soul reach their full potential? Listen, I'll put it to you so straight that, all that shit is good. And there's going to always be evolution. If we're going to go from the small two-way pager to now the cell phone being the remote control, I mean, like all that shit, technology is going to change. You know, the cassette, the CD, the, all that stuff is going to change. Our biggest power, and I'm a living example of it, is when you put diverse people at the head of the company and you allow that person to make cultural decisions and not financial decisions on something that they don't know. So you got people running companies, they don't know. They might go to a concert, but they don't know when a kid could come in. Like I came in and I saw Russell. I said, oh, he the boss? So you mean if you're the boss, you can move stuff that, that you want. So people not only want to be an employee or work in music. No, they want to run companies. And until we, as an industry, and really, this is not just about the music industry. This is about the world. Until the consumers Till they see a CEO that looks like them, act like them, talk like them, you know, that's when you unleash the true power of where we are in our culture. The C-suite does not represent what we're selling. And until you get that, you're not going to maximize it. But it's coming because I plan on motherfucking changing it. I plan on letting them know, no, guys, I'm nowhere near done. This is just a, I'm on chapter one. Fuck it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't care what, what we're saying. And I'm going to make sure part of my legacy is to make sure I have 
plant enough seeds that you know the next CEO uh, CEOs of tech companies and the, the metaverse and this verse and that verse, whatever you want to call it, they have representation of the culture that's using it. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned this because I do think that that is what makes the change at the end of the day, and that can influence so much and will influence so much. And I'd love to know what your perspective is on the movements or activity that the music industry has done on this front the past two years. So after George Floyd's murder, there was a bunch of announcements and funding that went after the show must be paused and all of that. And the call was exactly what you're saying. We need more Black executives that are making decisions that are the ones that are really pushing this culture forward, especially since it's their culture that is making this industry what it is. So how do you feel that that progress has been since a lot of those announcements were made by the industry? Not enough. And there's more work to be done. And it's one of the things that we hired a global diversity, inclusion, DEI, whatever it's called, officer named Dr. Sinet. And when I came on, he's the first person to reach out. He said, we have $100 million. Help me. Help us change the world. We're not going to have a department. We're going to create the first ever DEI Institute. And we're going to train people. We're going to go and find people in the organization and make them leaders and teach them cultural, cultural relevance as far as a company, cultural relevance and diversity of mindset and diversity of thought, not just color. We're going to find these change agents. You know, I don't make this shit up. There's a lot of work to be done. But the reason that I'm at the Warner Music Group and the reason I chose them is because Steve Cooper and Lynn Blavatnik have made it in their mindsets that we're going to change the world. And people who consume our products, who love our artists, who buy our T-shirts, we want to have people in the C-suite that look like them. And so that to me, a lot of fucking work to be done. And, and I want you, you know me, I'm not quiet. So I sit in the room and I tell everybody and I charge, I said, guys, you can't announce $100 million and do things that don't change things. It's not check the box. We're not doing that at the Warner Music Group. I never did it. I don't know how to check a box. I know how to create other boxes. I let everybody else do with it. Oh, we just did this. No, no. We created the DEI Institute around inclusion and equity. And it's just amazing, man. But a lot of work to be done all across the board. And I challenge every CEO, every chairman, every shareholder of major corporations to challenge the company to allow the diversity to be in the C-suite. It will change the company. And in changing the company, you'll make more money. Couldn't agree more. And I think, too, this speaks to a lot of the work you've done, even, you know, outside of just, you know, running the music part of the record label. You've been active with HBCUs as a graduate of one. You've wanted to make sure that mentorship programs and entrepreneurship supporting programs are there because you see that pipeline and you want to make sure that whether it's executives that want to go on to succeed in music or other places, the more that you can use your platform to help them, the better off they'll be. I think it's very important. I did a centennial raise for Morgan State. Dr. Wilson, shout out to Morgan State. I'm an HBCU person myself. And we raised $250 million, $50 million, the biggest institutional raise of HBCU. Went on to, had a big conversation. I speak on a circuit a lot. And I had a big conversation around what's the pipeline to get to be a state's attorney or a FBI special agent or a CIA, you know, what, what, and, and really, 
I didn't know. I knew how to be a police officer. That's what I saw, you know, but I didn't know. I know I'd be a basketball player. I know I'd be a football player because that's what I saw. And so uh, another program that I launched two years ago, I think maybe even last year is, well, I had 60 presidents of HBCUs meet with the head of the FBI. And to show when George Floyd happened, when Freddie Gary happened, the FBI came, but the people who were looking into it weren't people like us. They weren't people from the community, so there was no trust. So I want to make sure before I'm done, there will be somebody every place that will affect our culture and have a cultural point of view and not just a title point of view. And so that's been, and I'm a big advocate of, of education and entrepreneurship. I believe the school system should be blown up and we should be teaching more entrepreneurialism and, and not teaching people how to go work for somebody, but teaching people how to dream and actually want to be change agents and not just employees. So I'm going to continue the, the, the big fight, continue, continue to do the work. And again, I don't do that by myself. <laughs> so shout out to Dr. Smith. That's good to hear. And I mean, I think you're right. So much of that taps back into seeing where the pipeline is, seeing how you can build it up and making sure that that leads to promising careers so people can whether it's so they want to be their own boss or they want to do their own form of entrepreneurship, whatever it is, the opportunities are there. One thing that I did want to talk about, shifting back to music a bit, there's been an interesting movement, I think, happening right now where there is more of these, I'll call it the hip hop media personality that has come a bit more to rise and some of them, you know, even some of the, you know, the artists on, uh, at 300 have definitely pushed back on some of these folks as well for some of the weather. So things they've said or other things like that, it would be good to hear from your perspective, because I think this is not necessarily that these types of people didn't exist before, but I think social media obviously just makes the dynamic a little different. So what's your take on that dynamic? It's no different, man. We used to write on the graffiti walls. Now we're writing on Facebook walls. We used to hand out flyers and posters. Now you have Instagram and, and WhatsApp and this Snapchat and all, all these things. And, and when you talk about these personalities, you don't remember Star Buck Wild? How they were... Uh, yeah. They were, they were wild. They were wild. You don't remember how if you did any bit of R&B, you had to go to Video Soul with, with Donnie Simpson. You don't sit and remember how Sway and Tech and the, the Wake Up Show in the morning. They were there. They just were on one, one thing. Now with social media, they could be everywhere around the world. And we want those opinions. We want those pushbacks. We want those perspectives because those things allow us to evolve as people. We're not social media. If we're not some of them, we wouldn't be addressing some of the issues. Think about what Charlemagne and the Breakfast Club do, is doing for mental health. You want that pushback. You want that conversation because we don't want to become stagnant as a people. And so to me, I, you know, nine out of 10 of all my friends, Joe Budden, I signed him <laughs> you know, to me. You know what I mean? Noriega, Drake, Tramp, say, I ain't even signed to me. You know what I mean? So it. Fat Joe, well, it was signed to us. You know what I mean? It's like you go down the list of these guys and girls around the world that, that have a- What about act though? Act is act. You need the crazy one. You need him to say what he want to say just to be thought provoking. You know, but if you really get to know him, you know, he's Howard Stern of hip hop. You know, <laughs> that's his thing. And we don't want to, we don't knock Howard Stern. There might be some people who like it, you know, but you need the conversation. Man. And, and I think even what this ha happened with the, the Rogan guy, 
we need that conversation. No longer is it acceptable for you to use a, a word that you need that conversation and the corporations need it. And you need a Spotify to say, hey, we made an investment. We're going to learn from this and teach from this. And you needed him to come on. I don't think he just apologized for his sponsors. I think that he felt that, damn, you know, I, I never thought about it in a way because I'm, I'm just repeating. No, but even repeating is wrong. And so this is, and the people that listen to him, trust me, that back face was going on. They dressing up like this, doing it. all the shit is going on still. But I'm open for it. I want all the smoke. Bring me the motherfucking smoke because I want to have the conversation. I want to, and the problem is we don't have the conversation. And so we operate in fiefdoms around things. No, I want to taste Master Ball soup, which I want you to taste some collard greens too. I want you to go, to, I want to go to the, the Trinidad Festival and, and hang out in Mardi Gras and all this. But yes, I want you to come to the Hood Celebration. We're building a new basketball. It's that to me, we don't have enough of the intermingling of cultures. And the lack of conversation has led to suicide. The lack of conversation has led to racism. And all that I knew when Barack Obama spent eight years, I said, oh, the next thing is we're going left and be extremely the other way. And then you got Donald fucking Trump. I knew it was going to go in. But I also knew that we had to swing it back to the middle of the pendulum because it went too far left. And I can't wait to see some of the great leaders that will be born and, and spawn out of the conversation. You know, I always say we're living our biblical times. And was Moses just a farmer, a carpenter? Was Job just this? Was Mary just this? No, DMX was a prophet. There should be a book of X. There should be a book of J. There should be a book of Todd. Because in these biblical times that we're in right now, when Moses parted the Red Sea for other people to get, there were some casualties of war. I gave my only begotten son for us to move forward and believe. See, people don't relate what we're going through as true biblical scriptures because we haven't put them all together and call it the Bible. But yeah, there, was a, there was a George Floyd in the Bible. Mm -hmm. you know, there was a Freddie Gray in, in the Bible. And God blessed their families and their soul. And all of them have taken on the mantle and said his death. Her death, this moment, is meant to shift culture. It's meant to get people thinking a different way. And that's why, again, I applaud all the noise, all the smoke, all the conversations that I have to have. And I do it with a smile. And that's a good point, because if we think about the evolution of a Howard Stern, I think about the evolution of a Charlemagne, there's kind of this like, you start off and you say the stuff that makes you be like, what did he just say? And then like a few years later... I mean, you listen to more recent Howard Stern interviews. I mean, he sounds like, you know, almost like a therapist on the couch, like, you know, just talking through things. And we said similar stuff about Charlemagne, given some of the books that he's written and just how much of a topic that is for him. And he definitely doesn't do interviews the way he did back in like 2013, right? There's an evolution there. So thinking about it in that perspective, yeah, we'll, it'll be very interesting to see like where ACK or, you know, where some of the others are, you know, seven years from now, because I think I agree with you. You know, I don't necessarily think that, you know, he is a bad person or anything like that. I think if anything, it's more so this is a product of the internet and what everything has incentivized, no different than, you know, Star and Buck Wild were incentivized to say wild shit on, you know, power and, you know, back in the day. And then now, you know, whether it's ACK doing it on Twitch or on YouTube or whatever channel, Yes. He's not doing it for ratings. He's doing it for reach. He's doing it. There's so much noise out there that you have to sometimes. It's like our chief innovative officer is Young Thug. So Young Thug wearing a dress. <laughs> you 
know, he's letting people know I'm fashion. Fashion shouldn't be limited. You know, but think about Prince with his ass out. <laughs> you know, what I mean? think about Michael Jackson. Think about these guys. And again, why shouldn't we allow people to have an opinion? See, that, that's the, the problem I have with a lot of people. People are really afraid of freedom because with freedom comes shit too. There's good and bad in freedom, but you're free. You're free to say and be and act. And we should not judge, but we should know that people are doing things for a certain reason. The bigger your audience becomes, the bigger your reach, the bigger you become. And we can't just have Howard there by itself. Can't get Sam Rogan there by itself. So what did they do to get there? What did they do to get there? I got it. Russell called me 10 times. Hold on. <laughs> oh, man. I do want to talk quickly because, yeah, I was going to ask you about Thug being chief innovation officer. So what does that role include? So what, what's on Thug's agenda? Change the world, change the perspective, change the conversation, change the ideation process. Don't limit yourself. Be as free of a person as you can be. And I actually run stuff by him. I'm thinking about doing a hot challenge with HBCUs. And my goal is to help these bands raise money. So I want to do $25 a night. I said, Kev, let's get it. I did something around pushing peace. He said, no, Kev, that's not P. <laughs> so I said to him, I'm th- I think we should do, you know, I have family business, but I think you are the biggest family with YSL. So he made an album. <laughs> when you have an innovative officer, there's no limitations. There's no job description. It's the touch, taste, and tone of his very existence that allows people to come up with new ways and new things to do. You know, when Mary J. Blige said, good morning, gorgeous, it was therapy for that young person that gets bullied. But it was also therapy for her coming off of the shit that she came off for. And I kept telling, I said, guys, this is not a song. This is going to help people get through life. And people have started adopting it. And dads are now looking at their daughters saying, good morning, gorgeous. Looking at their wife that they take for granted in the morning and saying, good morning, gorgeous. I don't, I don't make this shit up. <laughs> this is, so I, everybody be free. And Doug, I, I, I'll check with you later on about what I'm thinking about next to make sure I got the cool factor. <laughs> love it. Love it. Yeah. Make sure he doesn't treat you like that pilot. He said, Alex, you ain't pee. <laughs> but listen, you couldn't make this shit up. You couldn't make none of this up. You know what I mean? That was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, perfect timing for that. I mean, and just lining up with the album and everything, that was perfect. But it was not scripted. It was really what was happening. And it seemed people real. Started, people started to show up at shows with Alex, you not peeing with posters. <laughs> <laughs> Craziest thing. Oh, man. That's when you know you got a movement. That's when you know you got something. Absolutely. All right. Well, Kevin, this has been great. Before we let you go, though, is there anything else that you want to plug? Let the Trapalanius know about that 300 has on deck? I don't know if it's, if it's a plug, but I'm in search of the truth. There's a lot of talent in the world. And the reason why I feel the Warner Music Group Partnership, 300, Electra Entertainment, Sparta, 300 Studios, I'm creating possibilities and platforms for you guys to come and help change the world. So I would just like to enlist your audience to say, you don't just have to be an artist. You don't have to just do marketing or, or digital or finance or legal. There is some place for you with us. And so I'm sure I'll come and, and hang out and you and I finally get in the same space where we can have, have dinner. But let's keep the narrative on where we're going, not where we were. Sounds good. And yeah, let's definitely do it. And Kevin, thanks again for coming on. And congrats to you again on great start to the year, big sale and everything. Keep trailblazing. God bless you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, go ahead and share it with a friend. Copy the link, text it to a friend, post it in your group chat, post it in your Slack groups, wherever you and your people talk, spread the word. That's how Traffalo continues to grow and continues to reach the right people. And while you're at it, if you use Apple Podcasts, Go ahead, rate the podcast, give it a high rating, and leave a review. Tell people why you like the podcast. That helps more people discover the show. Thank you in advance. Talk to you next week.